how was Laughlin? It was a good time, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty relaxed. Everything was kind of half capacity, mm. like not not by law or by requirement anymore. Just apparently that's about what the the numbers were running at okay. for the weekend. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a good time. You know, all all seven of the children were there. You know, nice. so the and then a couple of the cousins, I guess. I always want to call them the California cousins, but one of them lives in Payson now. Yep. Like most of California. So, but yeah, like, so it was, it was a nice time. It was uh, not as debilitatingly expensive as it could have been. You know, mm. uh, I did not, I, I didn't have to sell any extra organs or anything like that to try and recoup my losses or anything yeah. like that. So, you know, it was a, it was a good time though, man. It was it's interesting that I think kind of consistently across the family, if you were to ask people kind of what the highlight is, it's on the Saturday afternoon where you just end up with everyone gathered in someone else's hotel room. And in our family's typical style, you know, everyone's bringing in their own ice chests or coolers Mm -hmm. or whatever they've got. And you're just sitting around and, it becomes stories of the old days growing up for the aunts and uncles and everything. And it's just, it's, it's a blast, man. It's a really, you should just sit and record those stories. That would be fantastic. I would, but the statute of limitations isn't out on all of them. So. (laughs) Oh man. I, I laugh because I'm like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. You know, it's fairly, fairly stereotypical kind of like youthful stupidities and indiscretions mm-hmm. and everything but it's like ah you know that, 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 i don't yeah. think they'd respond well if they like saw me there setting up our recording equipment but, oh, no, no 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 just go on continue okay okay yeah not like uh you know sit down here son let me tell you about the old <laughs> days not not like right. life lesson stories from from grandpa these are sharing okay yeah don't record yeah, yeah, yeah. those so yeah we don't need you, those remembered <laughs> you you end up you end up with a life lesson in terms of a so here's a thing what that we're very to fortunate to have survived so like don't do these things <laughs> oh that's funny oh yeah nice <laughs> yeah i mean what and i bet it was also a lot a lot more chill because you guys normally go around like saint patty's day like that yeah. used to be like the weekend that you guys would go, and I always thought that was crazy too because I mean everything gets a little wacky on St. Patty's. Oh sure, and yeah, it was, you know, it was it was a, one definitely one of the calmer ones. You know, they do. Um, so for people who aren't familiar in Laughlin, they've got kind of you know in Vegas there's the Strip with all the casinos in Laughlin. It's the Riverwalk, like on the Colorado River, basically. Um, so you're just walking along the river going from one casino to the next. And, you know, it's not a particularly massive wide walkway or anything, but we didn't have, you know, there weren't, there weren't much uh, in the way of traffic jams this go around. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's saying something. Cause it's really just a sidewalk. It's not like it's a big made out road along the river. Right. If I remember correctly. Like, it's pretty much just a sidewalk. There's a few spots where they try and get a little bit fancy with it and do some decoration and stuff. But, yeah, for the most part, it's it's a sidewalk along the river yeah, uh, yeah. that takes you past the spots where you can rent jet skis and everything. Uh, 
which seemed mildly tempting because it was like 95, 96 degrees. I was going to say, if I ever go again, that's what I would do. But the problem is, so it's still too early into it being 95 and 96 degrees. (laughs) And you know, the Colorado River is like... It's all if snow you're lucky, Colorado. <laughs> if you're lucky, it might be warm enough to be like 65. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think it would take too much of the splashing for me to be like, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm, I'm probably good here. Yeah, this is not enjoyable. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Alrighty, all right, let's hit an intro and jump into it. Welcome to the podcast, Blue Collar Scholars. Not long ago, a group of brilliant minds met together at a pub to discuss their unfinished works. They recognize the value of coming together around delicious beverages and having meaningful conversations. That group was known as the Inklings. The Inkledoo podcast here, we're working to be the second iteration of that group. So pour yourself a craft beverage, pull up a chair, and join the conversation. Did So you're you're not drinking still, right? So like, well, what did you do so, in Laughlin? Or did you take so the I Sunday did, off? I did, yeah. I, uh, you know, so... We're not going to use this as another Lenten episode or anything like that, but it is one of those things like it is, you know, good for us to keep in mind that those are penitential disciplines. And so you can you can take on another one and those kinds of things. Um, and so I did. Yeah, I took I took advantage of the, you know, the feast day, the mini Easter on Sunday and everything to be able to uh, imbibe a bit and. One of the things that I had was they had a um, a a wit a white they called it Alaskan white so Alaskan is the the brewing company mm-hmm. um, but they had their white beer which I'm always like I I just prefer to call them wit beers just because I think it sounds yeah. cooler yeah I was gonna say I don't think Belgian there's an style e. there's I think I think it's they wit. call theirs white they've actually like so it's the name of the beer is white oh, style. Okay. Yeah, it's basically it's a wit, which I really like them a lot. Um, do you really? The, I do. I like wits. I think they're uh, for me. They're kind of again, like I said, it was in the mid nineties, um, and I do like for wits. I find have kind of a in spite of being a very light beer and so a fairly easy drink, they still have some real flavor to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had very much kind of like the the flavor that people tend to associate with hefeweizens and things like that um i would say a little bit more on the um almost a a banana rather than like a strong citrus on it hmm. okay um and it was just it was a very refreshing beer it paired really nicely with the uh bacon cheeseburger i was mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. um but yeah it was it was nice it was tasty and to be fair, it also might have seemed tastier because, well, I haven't had a whole lot to compare it to recently. Right. Um, Absence yeah, makes it the was, heart grow fonder. It does. It does. Uh, and so with that in mind, I would probably just keep it at a good solid beer. Like at the time, it tasted sure. delicious. Kind of like when you've been doing one of those keto diets and then you allow yourself to have a piece of bread and you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, what is this sweetness in this bread? It <laughs> yeah. is the most heavenly thing. It's like, oh, oh no, no, this is just a just a piece of wheat toast man like you're this is in your head not in the thing you're eating yeah i mean alaska's a there's they're like sierra nevada you know Mm -hmm. they're one of those ones that are just you're not gonna go wrong with them you know they're they're gonna make decent stuff and and wits i'm 
I'm hit or miss on them. Like I like them, but if they get if they lean into the, that coriander too much, and, okay. they, and they start to get that uh, like herbaly, flowery, there's kind of like this sure. just a weird note that comes from that coriander that that rubs me wrong. So if they, as long as that piece isn't too strong, then I'm I'm usually which you know a lot of wits they put so much like citrus in them here. Yeah, nowadays it's always like a blood orange. Wit and you're like, well, okay, I don't taste anything <laughs> but blood orange, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah, so. the, you took a blank canvas and chose to keep the canvas's name yeah. in the in the artwork. Interesting. Yeah. So nice. Okay, I didn't know. I don't think I. I don't think I. I don't think I knew that. Not that I like track all of your beers, but that I, you know, sure. I, I tend to like. I'm weird that way. I actually do keep like this weird little tab of what people, you know, like around me, so that mm-hmm. I can try to purchase accordingly or serve accordingly this is one of those things like i don't like you know making food or buying drinks for people that they're gonna be like oh cool thanks and then it sits uh-huh. in the back of their fridge for you know six months when i come back over yeah. the next time and drink it for them exactly so no, and i get and, and you're right like in general i do tend to be a lot more drawn to um kind of the heavier darker or things with like a dominant flavor Mm -hmm. tend to be what really kind of pull me in you know whether it's that resinous hoppiness in a really strong ipa or whether it's the super heavily kind of roasted malts in a porter or a stout um i do tend to like something that's like really strong one way or the other but like uh a wit to me is just sort of my again We've talked about this so many times, this idea of like your your yard work beer. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that's kind of like the wit is sort of where I tend to to lean for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like if I'm going to be outside and it's going to be really hot, you know, this has it's a good way to get a lot of flavor without it feeling heavy or feeling like it's a burden by the time you're on your second one. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I ended up, too, actually. So I, I had dinner with uh, our youngest's godmother she came over and they live right by helton and he brought over oh, their, okay. their pilsner which i had not had their pilsner before like i've gone over i've been to helton a couple times i bought from you know there to go a couple of times and for some reason i just never grabbed their pilsner uh the valley yeah. valley venom it's the uh, i hate snakes but it's the coolest looking can like <laughs> that guy's branding is really on point like i really like what helton does and it's uh and it's really good. Like it, again, it's super light. It's like four point eight. It's mm-hmm. really bubbly, and uh, you know maybe like a little fruity in the nose. Like I, I think probably just from the the what's the thing that does the ferment fermentation? The bacteria is called a yeast. Yeah. So just from the yeast. But other than that, it's a just a little hop note. But other than that, I mean, you can just really sit and drink that thing all day and you would never get tired of it. it it was it was really good of course i don't expect anything less from helton in all honesty right so well and i think that's one of those things too like it makes a lot of sense that that's not a beer that you had ever really grabbed for yourself before uh because i do think and this is i loved doing that um cicerone um be- certified beer tasting Mm-hmm. Or beer server is what we got. Right. And I really liked it and it was really cool. 
and I think though the difference that happened by doing that with the guys from Tap That uh, AZ versus if we had just sort of done it on our own was talking to so many brewers and kind of developing that uh, yeah. appreciation for you know lagers, pilsners, those kind of the beers where there's nothing to hide your off flavors mm-hmm. behind. But yeah. even with that appreciation that they made sure to like drill into our heads, it was definitely still one of those things where um, it just sounds boring. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of that idea of I think I think it was Gordon Ramsay who I saw talking about the idea that his hiring uh, process for anyone who was going to be a chef in his one of his restaurants was like them coming in and making eggs. And like, <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, yeah, no, no, it's incredibly simple, but because it's incredibly simple, I'll be able to know whether you know what you're doing or not. Mm -hmm. And it sounds shocking when you're not someone who lives in that world. And I think it's for for me, at least, as much as I enjoy uh, drinking beers and trying different styles and everything, I still fall into that amateur category for precisely that reason, where like Mm -hmm. I get all excited about. People who are throwing other weird random flavors yeah. the into the big these bang pow. It my curi- yeah. Exactly, it catches my curiosity. Like, oh, what a horrific idea! <laughs> that can't possibly work, can it? And it's like, oh, actually, that's pretty okay. <sighs> Instead of being incredibly excited about the fact that um, you know people like Helton are able to take these beers, where again, it's like, no, no this is what it's supposed to taste like. And I'm going to make it Mm -hmm. taste like this every freaking time. It's like, Oh, Oh yeah. There's actually in a very real way. There's a a much higher level of craftsmanship in that than the other stuff that I tend to get excited about and want to spend all my time talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is one thing I, we, I got from that too was, was the craftsmanship from the people that were, like you like you said with Ramsey doing the simple things really really well mm-hmm. and it, and then if they do that well then you can trust that the things that the other things that they do they do well too they're not just covering it with crap you know exactly so uh, love it love it all righty so i don't know did you decide if we're going to keep going on saints or is this like our last one on the saints i think we should probably do a couple more okay i think like I'm good with i think like one or two more uh, I'll put together, um, here's your little peek behind the curtains. Those of you listening, I'll put together a list of like four or five who I know enough about to kind of use as a launching point for discussing. And then we can kind okay. of pick like one or two from them and, uh, we'll throw them at them in the coming weeks. Okay. Deal. So then this one is not the last one, but it is my patron mm-hmm. and my, mine is, I think, like I said last week, it's a little bit different between, you know, someone who kind of came up in the church and and chose their patron, you know, in that fourth grade realm or, you know. I mean, I was a junior in high school, but I was definitely using that logic. Okay. Well, I mean, they've changed the times back and forth, right? So, like, I I think when you were doing it, it was in middle school, but then I think they pulled it back to fourth grade. And then I think they moved it again since then. like. They're always changing. Last time I was looking at it, it was fourth grade is why I have that in my brain. Um, but yeah, I was in college and going through um, my theology classes. I was at Grand Canyon. And so I, I was, what was my degree at Grand Canyon? Like, 
some sort of ministry degree. I was going to say, I, only, I, I feel like you were, you were in like a ministry program. Like you were working yeah. on becoming a minister eventually was the thought at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it, it I'm sure it had an official name, but I only made it a year at that school and they priced me out. So I, <laughs> I didn't commit it to memory. Uh, but I was in, you know, like the throngs of, of theology and history and all of these things. And, and the one that I, and it all kind of happened for me. It's all like kind of part of my story, it, which is as I studied the tradition and the history and those things like that, I, it kind of sparked in me that, that, I don't know what you want to call it, like a desire for the ritual, you know, like the, mm -hmm. for the old, the things that have been around for, you know, thousands of years and to love those old things and not just the new things. It's like having, you know, I always think about a, a friend growing up. There was like a, he came from Ireland and he's like, it's so weird. All your buildings are all new. He's like, oh, all the buildings <laughs> I go into, he's like, the church I go to was like 400 years old. He's like, it's just normal. Like everything here is new. Everything there's old. And, and so I feel that sometimes. And so I was gravitating towards uh, the church. And so then when we were going through RCIA and they said, hey, you got to pick somebody. I was like, oh, I know who I'm picking because this dude was my favorite <laughs> in in the my history of theology class. And that is St. Athanasius, who, you know, like, again, my outline, I, I jumped in there and, and, and I took care of the outline today and that in typical Brandon fashion is far larger than is than we're able to actually talk about. <laughs> but uh, but you know what you know what I really liked about this is that these conversations have kind of re-sparked the excitement that I had when when I chose Athanasius. Like mm -hmm. like there's this passion for the early church that I've had, and I I haven't I had it for a long time, and then I kind of just it just kind of. It never went away, but I never fed it anything. So it just—I was going to say—you never fed the fire. So yeah. you got like you, the pilot light is still on, but because yeah. I—I did. I wanted to. I'm, I'm glad you brought up how much you put on the outline because I did want to like make fun of you a little bit here, uh, <laughs> because last week when we were recording, you're like, oh yeah, you know, I just. I don't know that much. I'm going to have to go in and like start digging again. I was like looking at what you put on the outline. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> don't know hardly anything. <laughs> well, I'm so only got like three or four <laughs> things to say about the guy <laughs> for each day of his life. <laughs> I uh, so in, in clarifying. So like I know I know a bit about the person, mm -hmm. the the and I guess a little bit about the theology. I just haven't sure. read any of his writing. You know, and that's where yeah. I feel like I, I have to like put that out there. But, like I don't, I he's one of the like Joseph doesn't have a whole lot of writings out there. You know, so like you, yeah, you, yeah, you got lucky on that one. I actually hey. have to read some books, you know, because I get up there, <laughs> Athanasius is going to be like, dude, what you couldn't pick up a book? Like I wrote these <laughs> things, they're kind of a big deal. You couldn't open one of them. <clears throat> so you know, like I I have to do some reading to say that I really have a good grip. Which I do go. have one. I have one in my possession, and I finished. I finished out of the Silent Planet from C.S. Lewis. I finished that today, and oh, so I'm, nice. I'm starting. I am starting on the Incarnation from Saint Athanasius. In the morning, it is in my hand. Beautiful. So, but yeah, it's uh, 
I'm I'm liking it. So there's a couple of things that have been happening, and I and I know this seems semi off topic, but I'm I'm being selfish and I'm talking about myself here. <clears throat> but like it's really weird. Like we haven't done a lot on social media lately. Like I don't know if anybody has been paying attention to that, but like we just it's been really low. And mm-hmm. frankly, I don't miss it. Um, because like, I feel like I've been doing so many things for other people, you know, like trying to get people to like us on social media and all these things. And this is kind of the things that we've been talking about for, I don't know, a couple of months now, you know, Mm -hmm. and since kind of stopping that, like instead of, you know, farming social media and liking and commenting on all these people's things to try to get them to like us, I've been reading at night, you know, and type of a thing. Yeah. And and I'm four books in already this year, which is more than I've I've ever been. And I'm not just reading that stuff. I'm reading on the incarnation from Athanasius. So I'm it's really mixing that with these discussions of saints has really been good because it's it's you see somebody like Athanasius who has has his thing. And mm-hmm. he holds to that thing. And it, he wasn't necessarily, you know, trying to get everybody on social media to like him. Like, he wasn't worried <laughs> about being popular. It was about being faithful to his thing regardless. And because he was so faithful to that, his story changes our Christian history, you know? Yeah. And, and so... I, because I, it's, it's just all real, this... it resonates. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Oh. Friggin' A, man. Write that down. That was excellent. <laughs> well, I wasn't prepared for that. Normally, those come at the end. I wasn't ready. That was. Re- yeah, I'm just going really to sit back good. and snipe on you tonight, man. <laughs> oh, but. Okay. So, yeah. So, I, I'm just. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to talk about this. And I'm, I'm excited that we've been talking about it because, like I said, it's kind of rekindling that that passion for the early church that I've had for a, for a long mm-hmm. time it's never gone away I just haven't fed it and now that I'm feeding it it's like yeah give me more of this stuff this is good <laughs> well so, let's let's give our listeners some more on him then like so yeah. St. Athanasius yep like you're you've made it clear like we're talking about someone from the early days of the church but like yeah. how early are we talking here like so he's is, yeah in his the, time of the three, apostles or there 300s so in the I think he was born like 318 uh dies at 390 no 390s or my I think that sounds right like I think 318 uh, and dies at like 397 or something like that something I think something like that yeah somewhere around yeah, so throughout so the he, 300s yeah and so he was the patriarch so before then so the church started off with the apostles right and then we had some Mm -hmm. presbyters and then we had some other variations of leadership and then eventually we came to in the early church we had the patriarchs the five patriarchs there was rome um alexandria jerusalem yes antioch and constantinople i believe there you go well done sir um and so Alexander, so in the early church, and again, this is all the context because the context sure. is super important for Athanasius' story. And they, we're going, through, we're forming our theology. 
So there's lots of questions. We we talked about John, right? Where John's mm-hmm. disciples themselves were in the first couple of of um, councils. Yeah, councils. Thank you. I was going to call it a synod, but a synod is like a lower. It's yeah. not a full council. Those were full councils, and they're forming the theology. And so now you start to get a little bit later in the 200s and the 300s to where, you know, those direct disciples aren't there anymore. And you're, you're multiple generations past John. Yeah. And so one of the big questions is around um, Christ and his, is he fully God? Is he fully human? All of the, you know, that becomes a really big topic, you know, and the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? Is he fully God? Is he fully, like, what is he? And are they equal? Are they not equal? And so there's these really big discussions that are going on. And so Alexander, who was the bishop of Alexandria, uh, which Alexandria was a patriarch. They were mm-hmm. the seat of the patriarch. They had the, I think it was the Nicene Council, the third council. Yes. And that's where they kind of, they started to form that, you know, Christ is fully God, fully human. He's not subordinate, and so that's one of the things. The begotten, not made, is one of the 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 thoughts behind that. Meaning that Christ was not created. Yes, Christ is equal with God of the same substance. And so, Alexander had a a secretary, basically somebody who kind of went with him, did a lot of the writing and a lot of the paperwork. A secretary, and it was Athanasius. And in the Carnation, or on the Incarnation, he actually wrote while Alexander was kind of championing the the, the orthodoxy in the council. Mm-hmm. And so, as so he he's steeped in it, steeped in it. He, he's a priest. He's right under the patriarch, serving him in all these things at the council. So he he's he's waist deep in it. And then Alexander, on his deathbed, you know, he's been grooming Athanasius forever. Mm-hmm. On his deathbed, calls for Athanasius, and Athanasius runs away. <laughs> and it's it's like one of my favorite things because the reluctant hero is always the greatest champion, and and he really does. He knew that what the cost would be if he took up the mantle. He knew what it was going to yeah. cost, and so he initially he fled, and. And so all of this is my favorite, some of my favorite parts of his story is that so when he fled, then all of the priests and the the bishops in that area, as long, along with all of the Christians in Alexandria, join hands, don't let him leave, and chant, we want Athanasius. And so the he was unanimously voted in as bishop and patriarch at the age of 30, like right at the border of how old you can be to become patriarch. You know, like just historians yeah. are like, mm, he's not a real patriarch because he was, you know, made bishop before he was 30. And you're like, whatever, dude. I don't I don't know that. <laughs> I, I don't have the time or the interest to argue with you about this, to be just totally honest. Not, not even a little bit. And so, yeah, that I thought that was the coolest thing because maybe it's happened elsewhere, but just the fact that the people themselves – knew who they wanted. So that means he wasn't he wasn't just, you know, a, a true secretary just sitting there scribing all day long. Like how do all of the people and all of the bishops know him mm-hmm. so well that they would that they would chant his name and get it. And it 
in addition to his story, because like once they make him bishop, it makes sense because he spends like the first few years of his life just like going around his sea and meeting, talking to all the people and all of the different churches and the bishops and even the, uh, I know, do I say it right? Ascetic? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Ascetic out in the desert. Yep. And he got to know them and, and it shows up later in life that he, he was a people person. Like he, he served his people really, really well to the point that they knew him and they weren't going to accept anybody else at that point. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so cool, this idea, you know, going back to what you were talking about with that idea of the the reluctant hero. And I think a big part of the reason why that's so powerful is because when you're being put into a position of leadership, you know, we've talked quite a few times about this idea of like a servant leader and this leadership born out of a humility rather than a pride or an arrogance. Well, like, obviously, Mm -hmm. everyone should be following me. No. Like, I have an awareness of the weight of that leadership and what it means. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, you probably should be a little bit cautious around anyone who doesn't look at that and feel overwhelmed. Right. Like, right. and so his his expression of that being overwhelmed is more extreme than a lot of the examples that we see in history like you know <laughs> actually trying to flee from the post not going to your your predecessor and like your your father in a in a very strong spiritual sense go, not going to his deathbed because you know what he's calling you there for and you don't want any part of it like that that's some high level response to it but at the same time it does it paints for us a very clear picture of who this man is is at his core like he would have been most likely uh far more contented to just continue serving as a secretary kind of off center stage you know supporting and providing help and instruction but without right it ever being on him right right yeah i i think of it as like a gideon you know where gideon is hiding in the in the the wine press threshing his wheat mm-hmm. because he's afraid of all of them. And, but you know, the angel of the Lord says, you know, arise mighty man of valor. It's like the mightiest, the judge of that era was hiding in a wine press to thresh his wheat. But you know, God saw it in him and yep. he was great. And it, it, similarly, so like, yeah, you have this guy who runs away from the call, but then in, once he accepts it, he serves, over 40 years, I think it came to like 47 years, something like that. So over 40 years as patriarch, five official banishments. So the emperor of Rome banishes him five times throughout his life. Yeah, He is slandered constantly by some of the competing theologians in the church, like other bishops. Like there was Arians and, and oh, there was two others that were really these people were all really fighting hard because it was very political in the day as well, but they were slandering him and his reputation. And then to got to the point to where they actually, while he was serving in church, he was serving mass and soldiers broke in to try and kill him at church. (laughs) And the, so the people, you know, like old school, you know, slow clap kind of movement, the people rush and block the soldiers so that he can escape. And he goes out into the desert and lives with the ascetics whom he spent, who he, he met 
in his first couple of years touring his sea to meet all these people. He had such a relationship with them that once he fled, the ascetics took him out into the desert and cared for him out there and kept him safe the whole time. So it's this weird contrast where the, the reluctant servant serves the longest and fights the hardest in there. And like I said, I think that comparison to Gideon just is makes so much sense for me. Yeah. And it's, it's a really, it's a, I love the contrast. Cause you're right. Somebody who, who really understands the call and the weight. Once they take it, they might not want it, but once they take it, they're going to take it seriously because yes. they understand it more. Well, and I think, um, kind of almost going backwards in it a little bit too. I want to, like make sure because when we're talking about this is this is the early days of public Christianity, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're so even though we're talking, you know, a couple hundred years after uh, the Apostle John, the last of the 12 is up and walking like it's also the time of the Emperor Constantine, who mm-hmm. like so he hasn't made Christianity the official religion yet. But he's right. made it legal and uh, his some of his family has converted. He waited to be baptized until his deathbed. Um, but like, you know, Christianity is becoming a very, like you said, political thing. Like, oh, wait, the emperor yeah. is showing favor to this new religion. Uh, the good news is it's a new upstart religion, which means there's not anyone established. You know, there aren't families who have been part of it for generations so we can go ahead and get in here. Um, and so like all these exiles and everything, these political campaigns, it like how many Christians, including probably Athanasius, at mm-hmm. least somewhat, were thinking, oh, thank God, we're finally we're finally Christians at a time where like we're not going to be martyred. Like we can we we can actually right. celebrate the liturgy publicly and invite people and how safe this is and then oh wait here's one of the the five most kind of important recognized bishops in the entire christian world in the entire roman empire being chased out into the desert over and over and over again yeah like yeah, and, this, and this the, is not how this the, was supposed to go that's <laughs> true and the crazy thing is is that a lot of it is from the fellow christians uh-huh. you know like oh yeah the arians versus the orthodoxy you know like it was blood, man, and it was riots and mobs, and it was stirring up the people to get the emperor to force a decision mm-hmm. in all kinds of things. And that's where we'll see – we see that in Athanasius a lot. The emperor constantly was trying to make Athanasius accept something other than orthodoxy just for the peace of the empire. Yes. Um, you know – foreshadowing he doesn't um (laughs) but and so that's how political it was really because when you look right now like christians everywhere are completely on the same page and and getting along with one another so So well you're saying it didn't happen that way from the beginning (laughs) huh oh it hurts (laughs) Uh, but okay so then so some of the reasons so that's just kind of like an overview of his of his life the kind of life that Mm -hmm. he lived uh but I like the way that you had it broken out last time where it was kind of, you know, hey, these are the reasons why he's considered a, a saint. Yeah. And and so I laid out a couple of them here, and these first two kind of go together. One of them is that he's a church father. So he's considered officially as 
one of the the church fathers, which means responsible for uh, or a key contributor to the development of our orthodoxy. Is that yes. a fair definition? Absolutely, yeah. So, like, basically, he was part of the generation, kind of going back to what you were saying before. And again, it ties into the fact that Christianity is legal at this point, which means you can now mm-hmm. have some of the, like, leaders of the faithful gather safely in a place and discuss, you know? And so they're they're the ones who are responsible for not creating, but defining a lot of the teachings, because like you said, there's not the disciples here anymore. There's not the right. the ones who actually walked with Jesus. And like we talked about before, too, there were a lot of people who just sort of assumed when Jesus said he was coming back that he meant next week. And so right. it's like, OK, you know what? Actually, we're we're moving past that now. When he said we do not know the the day or the hour, he meant that. So we need to start thinking about making sure we're very clear on right. what what this what Jesus said, but not just what it's what he said, but how it applies in changing circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the, the these conversations, these councils were about the salvation of souls. Because so, like one of the things is is that we, if it wasn't in all honesty at this point, if it wasn't for Athanasius and his stubborn resolve, we would all be Jehovah's Witness right now. Basically, like Jehovah's Witnesses and is an Aryan theology. Yeah. You know, like it's it's Christ is created. He's subordinate to God, the father there. And it's Aryan. The Aryan heresy showed up multiple times and it recycles. And I might take some flack for it, but Athanasius himself called it, you know, Antichrist. And I take it to be not like the devil, but like as in literally yeah. Anti against it's not uh, Christ. Yeah, yeah, opposed to Christ, <clears throat> and and you see it come back up over and over and over again, and and you've got to ask like why why does this keep coming up? Like why wasn't it <laughs> done once and for all? Maybe because it's Antichrist, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to go away. So that that's you know they were working out what our theology, what our orthodoxy was, and and he was a big big contributor to that and mm-hmm. and there was actually a point in which the emperor i can't remember which one told him hey you need to accept arians arians arius arius the bishop the the yeah. bishop who was pushing that theology you have to accept him back into the church arius shows up he asked him do you accept that he was begotten not made Arius said no and he would not let him back into the church regardless of what the emperor said you know so like yep he was he wasn't an unmovable object and the 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 book of that i how oh, that we have what's it um the story, story of christian theology thank you that writer i i flip back through that again and he says it best where you know there's so many times where people are defined by their age you know, like the times that they live in. Mm-hmm. And Athanasius is one of the few people who actually wasn't defined by their age. And actually, he was the one that defined the time frame. Like mm. he was so unmovable that the world had to move for him. Like the emperor could not move him. All of the bishop, the the opposing bishops could not move him. Like he was the unmovable object and because of that, everybody else had to move around him. And because of that, 
we now have our orthodoxy. You know, like it was it was holding true to conviction beyond what any of us had. Like if if an emperor, like I we don't even have any concept of what it means to have an emperor who has mm-hmm. absolute power over your body. We like, we don't we don't know what that means in, in reality as as it applies yeah. to our life, but like he just said no. Like you're the emperor. No. Like I I can't cannot and will not accept your compromise. This cannot be compromised. It's regarding the salvation of souls. It's Christ. I will not accept anything lower for Christ. The answer is no. Yeah, and that recognition uh again, like the the humility that's required because he's not he's not saying no out of a pride or a self-assertion or even a claim that he knows better. He's saying no because it's a truth that he knows, not a truth that he can define. Like, he has no power over the truth. And he recognizes that. He's like, no, no, you you want me to say black is white, and I cannot. Mm-hmm. Like, m- my saying it would have no impact on the reality. Instead, it is just... Uh, dishonest a disservice to the people who i am charged with as a shepherd of souls and it is a statement of incredible disrespect to the one who i have promised my life like Mm -hmm. no it's not a matter of want to or not i have very little doubt that there were times when he was fleeing into the desert thinking ah freaking again like, I have yeah. very little doubt that there were times in that where he was thinking about, like, how much easier it would be if he didn't know the truth. Like, yeah. if he was... If this cup it, could pass from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if only it wasn't so clear to him who mm-hmm. Jesus was, who the Holy Spirit was. If only that wasn't so clear to him, if he didn't have such a clear understanding of it how much easier his life would be because he would be able to with a clear conscience go along with those who are pushing him because it's like, Oh, mm-hmm. well, you know, they might be right, but he knew that yeah, they weren't yeah. and he had no choice at that point. Yeah. And that's the thing, man. Like, if, like this is what I've been really, really thinking about is do I have the, the same conviction to withstand or the courage or the strength, you know, like, I don't know mm-hmm. what words to use, but like, would my resolve hold the way that his did? You know, like, like you're, you're honestly, you're being, your life is being threatened constantly by the most powerful man on earth mm-hmm. and you don't break. Like, even if it's hard, you know, like, like you said, like, I don't doubt that in his humanity, he would have just been like man why is this suck so bad like yeah. he's exiled for the fifth time out in germany and it you know not quite his you know nice dry heat of alexandria it's surely lord i've been loyal enough surely someone else can take this up instead of me like right and then, you know like, like we talk about it all the time where christ never promised it would be easy yes you know, and like this, he's just so much proof of that is that like, how do you endure that if you do not, not just know who Christ is, but know Christ? Like, how mm-hmm. do you deal with that? How does your conviction hold if you don't have 
something more than just, oh, I pray at night and before meals, you know? <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you do that? Would I be able to hold that kind of conviction? And I don't know. Yeah. Well, and like, that's quite frankly, the only honest answer. Like, mm-hmm. until until you're tested, you don't know. And hopefully, you know, God willing, we'll be able to avoid that test. Like, <laughs> yes, I, I agree. I, I, I much, much prefer the not knowing on this one. Like, you know, I, but I think at the same time, like, I think that the fact that I think it's encouraging at the very least that the starting point of your, I don't know. And I wonder is born out of the same spirit that allowed it to be a yes for him, which is that humility. Mm. Like you're not talking about. And I, I think part of the reason why we struggle when we're trying to figure out, do we want to call this courage? Do we want to call it strength? Do we want to call it wisdom? It's because it's all of those things but it's also like all of those things and something else. Right. And I think I, the the something else that has to be there is the recognition that it's not about us. Like it, it's not about him. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Athanasius was not strong because of Athanasius. Like Athanasius didn't view himself as his foundation on which his strength would be built, on which his resolve would be built. Instead, what you were talking about with that like idea of not just knowing who Christ is, but knowing Christ, mm-hmm. I think is that huge turning point where it's like, it doesn't matter whether I'm strong enough because he is. Mm-hmm. And because I know that, I, like, I don't have to be. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You have one job. And your job is mm-hmm. to hold on to Christ. Yeah, that's you know? exactly. And that's, that's, I feel like that's all he did. And that's why I'm so excited because, I mean, C.S. Lewis praised the, on the incarnation as a, as a masterpiece. Um, and so, and I've read snippets of it and things like that. And there's just this, this depth of, I don't, again, like you said, every, every word that we're going to say is going to be this plus something else. And that something else is probably the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but but it, <laughs> that's that's good chance, good chance. <laughs> it's it's this depth of of like knowledge of Christ, and again, not knowledge isn't the right word because it's like understanding the ocean by floating on top of it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you don't. That's you a don't, really good image. You don't understand the ocean, but you know it's really friggin' big and really powerful. You know, and you're gonna know it better than the person on the shore. And that's there what I is. feel yeah. like like Athanasius is. He's the dude who's floating on the ocean and he knows Christ. And mm-hmm. be- and because he knows him, sorry, I can't accept anything else. Sorry, not mm. sorry, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Oh, so. that's that's huge, man. Yeah. Well, and since we're we're since we're talking about yours, I feel like I it would be wrong of me to like jump in and steal a march this time. So like as we're kind of coming towards the end here, what what kind of life lesson do you like want to focus on as your big takeaway? Um, oh, I thought I was being generous by throwing it to you first. 
I know. Well, it's like Homer Simpson with the Sunday, you know, when there's like 57 <laughs> scoops and he's like, oh, 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 and he just panics and doesn't do anything and just drops his face in the ice. That's what it's like for me right now. Um, so for me, like, and, and again, I just, I wrote on Athanasius in our blog. So I, I hope mm-hmm. if you, if you like it, if you like listening to these things, I hope you go list, read that blog. I poured a lot of this into that and it was really good. And and the thing that I come out of it is loyalty. Loyalty is the virtue that I that I value the most. And Athanasius's life just demonstrates loyalty in multiple facets in that he was loyal to Christ and would not budge. He did not cheat. He was not unfaithful, not even a little bit to who Christ was. He did not bend. He did not break, did not misstep on that. So he was loyal to Christ. Not only that, he was, I I believe this is a projection of me onto him because of the response of his people is that he was loyal to his people because his people were then in response loyal to him and loyalty begets loyalty in my experience. You don't, you don't foster or create that kind of loyalty of 47 years, five banishments and the people not accepting anyone other than you as their patriarch without doing something right. So like he served his people and generated loyalty among them. They, and they loved him and they cared for him and they always brought him back after every banishment. (laughs) And so, you know, you get to have a life and a career by you serve God and you serve people. And, and if you are loyal in that, then I, I don't, that's all we should try to do in my opinion. I love it, man. And I think building on that for me, and I probably have kind of given away where I'm going because I I keep coming back to this word, but like his humility, I think to me is like the starting point for that because his, his recognition and keeping in mind like that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less Mm -hmm. and like that's, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm ripping that off of CS Lewis. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like I'm, I, 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 not totally positive which one of my my favorite Christian authors I'm stealing that from, but I'm pretty sure it was Lewis. And like that idea that he his loyalty is born out of this humble realization that it's not about him. Like he's a priest and a bishop and eventually a patriarch not because of his greatness, but because of God's. Mm-hmm. And he's in this position, not for his glory or even, not even for the sake of his salvation alone. Like, yeah, his salvation is definitely affected by his faithful carrying out of the Absolutely. mission. So I don't mean to make it sound sure. like they're unrelated, nope. but he's not... When God puts you in a position of leadership, yes, that is going to be vital to your salvation, but it's ultimately about the salvation of others every bit as much. Exactly. And so that recognition that, yeah, no, I, I will. I'll, I'll accept, not be excited about, but accept these banishments. And I will not accept these compromises is because those make my life easier. But like you said, there's no benefit for the Lord who I serve or the people whom he has entrusted to me. Mm. 
And so I cannot. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because that's what he's looking at. He's like, if I accept this compromise, then I'm sending my people to somewhere other than God. Yes. I cannot exactly. I cannot do that for them. Yeah, I, it, yes, I agree. You have to he was there for them as much as he was for Christ. And I, I don't see a lot so far in the story where he was in it for himself. And so yeah. again, serve God, serve people. <clears throat> and if you're focused on those two things, then you're not looking at yourself. You then you're gonna do okay, I think. Exactly. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm super excited. I'm friggin' jacked. I'm I'm ready to read this book. Like I'm <laughs> I needed this. I needed it as like that pep talk before the big uh-huh. game because I, this book is gonna be the hardest theological book that I've read in in ten or fifteen years. I'm sure of it. Well, you know, so I mean, it's again, gonna be like my I'm brain's gonna hurt. Sure, absolutely. But you know what, man? Like so then be patient with yourself. Like probably don't set out to read this at the same pace that you read out of the silent planet, you know, <laughs> like that be, is true. Be, be, be prepared for the fact that, Oh, you know what? There's probably going to be a lot of these paragraphs that I'm going back and rereading. Like yes. it'll yes. be good. That I agree. I agree. I'm excited. And I will most likely need quite a bit of coffee to get through it. So <laughs> fortunately, you know, gentlemen, I know a guy. If uh, if you are also stretching your brain with the deep questions of Christ and his nature, um, get some coffee. You're going to need it. And uh, we happen to sell coffee, and that's what supports our, our mission for meaningful conversations. And we we uh, believe that meaningful conversations do lead to Christ. So that's, that is our mission. Uh, and so if you would like to support us in that, Please jump on the website, inkledo.com. We have our blogs there. Like I said, I, I just wrote on Athanasius a little bit more more specifically mm-hmm. as to why I chose him. And then uh, click over to that shop page and we'll uh, roast you some fresh coffee and send it as soon as the U.S. Postal Service will get it to you. <laughs> and we'll, uh, it'll be good. Yeah, man. You got anything else on your brain? Nah, man, I'm spent. Very cool, very cool. All right, with that, everybody will say, Adieu. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another Inkledoo podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed making it. If you did enjoy it, please do us a favor and make sure to share it on all your own social media so that other people can find us and enjoy us as well. 